NWSL Nation, hello yet again. We've been seeing a lot of each other lately. It's as if there's a big event going on or something or not. Thank you so much for checking out this most upcoming episode. We are well into the early stage of the Challenge Cup. We're just about ready to put a cap on this and kick off the knockout stage crazy how large time flies what a fun experience has been i'm of course of steve schwartzman i'm here to talk more challenge cap with our resident soccer savant mike mcphee mike how how in the world are you hey steve there's there's been some great football to watch really good football and some frustrating football if you're a yeah, Royals sure. fan, but we'll get into that in a, in a minute. Um, no, not, not projecting or anything. It, it's funny how as time has gone, more is materialized, and yet there's been exponentially more questions. You would think we would know more. Somehow we're, we know less. We're closer to knowing how the, this this table, these standings are going to look, but then we're also not even close to knowing. It's 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 fun how competitive it's been. So obviously we're going to dive into the most recent, uh, you know, the most the last six or so matchups of the Challenge Cup as we get ready for the final matchups of the early rounds. But before we do that, Mike, can we talk about Louisville for a minute? Louisville, yes. Racing, absolutely racing Louisville FC, racing Louisville FC proof. No more. The, so the story of Louisville's NWSL squad has been amazing. They initially kick off and announce being proof Louisville FC pretty universally panned. And I think the story from here is pretty cool. Essentially bringing in the uh, Matt, Matt Wolf and the, the Matthew Wolf design firm, a well-resound graphic design and, and branding firm created really a, a did what I would say is their due diligence. They pulled in fans. They pulled in potential players. They pulled in other soccer personnel. Really got the idea of, of understanding Louisville and their culture and how it ties to the game. Seems like they're really able to build branding around their racing culture, Churchill Downs, the Kentucky Derby. And with that, there were a lot of pieces of branding that came into it, obviously, in creating their crest. Their color schemes specifically built around a unique color scheme that helps them stand out a deep purple on a lavender on a mint green and their crest, which has a cross symbolizing, you know, the crossroads of, of Southwest, the Fleur de Lis, uh, which ties to the racing culture and also to Lily, Lily culture, things of that nature. I believe Fleur de Lis plays a role in Orlando FC, the MLS cups team as well. Sorry, the MLS counterparts team. I said cup. They've never won a cup. No, no. And, and the, the, the name of the city itself, that, that's what, what I loved so much about this is that it was so tied into the local culture. I mean, yeah. does that have, you know, an, an impact on, on the game? No, but I love the clubs yeah. that tie their image in yeah. to the lo- local and, culture. And obviously we're going to talk about the name in a minute because we have some mixed reaction to it. And, and you know, we've talked colors. We've talked about the story about how all this got built. Mike, can we talk about the crest first, though? Love the crest. It is out good. of the park. Yes. My huge word. design success yeah absolutely it's it, it's everything you want in a sports or soccer crest it's clean there's a simplicity to it but there's also a level of nuance and sophistication it's recognizable it works in several color schemes everything about it it just it, and and honestly it just has what every logo should have is just a certain level of dopeness of just boy i would wear that if it's indicative to other things that they're going to be rolling out in terms of kits and other levels of branding in the future, it definitely leaves you excited. Definitely on the right track. The thing I'm most excited about has got to be the color scheme, though. This year in the NWSL, we've seen a lot of new kits. I think there's been a lot of upgrades. Uh, upgrades, I'll give them credit. But it seems like virtually every team, especially since we're missing Orlando, is red and blue, right? Louisville jumps in here. Purple, lavender, mint green. 
like i i love the uniqueness of that mm. huge fan from the sounds of from the reveal video it was very intentional we wanted to have a color scheme that stood out because it was not really congruent to anything else we've seen we want to stand out very much and that's huge because one frustration we've had with especially with kits with the current NWSL squad is a lot of teams stepped away from color schemes that helped them stand out the Royals FC was a huge one they had a yellow color scheme that really stood out and differentiated that they pulled away from which I personally was was not the biggest fan of in all honesty we weren't able to have the Orlando Pride a part of the challenge cup so we missed that purple hue we have a little bit obviously with you know the houston dash and their orange motif for the most part we're watching navy blues play whites every you know every match and so to add that piece the big thing i will say about the color scheme we've got to have at least one mint green kit we've we need something that specifically brands that because we don't have a green team right now no it kind of reminds me of a few years ago when the seattle rain had those neon kits and I don't know. It was just the wildest thing to watch them play in those. But I think this could actually be a fun, exciting look for the for the new squad. I totally agree. I think this is something that is a lot to get behind. It's a good look. We'll talk about ranking the crest in a minute. I kind of want to end with that. But one thing I want to hit really quick is the name. I think that there is, uh, from our perspective, some mixed reaction. I feel like the new name across what I've seen online, especially on Twitter, generally positive reviews some support most definitely better than proof better than proof yes did did not land very much at all what are your immediate thoughts on racing global i thought it was okay again i i appreciated the you know the link to what what they know they're famous for and and we we do know that you know there's it's kind of a reference to some international football clubs so it's not Mm -hmm. like that's unprecedented yeah, I better than proof. Uh, not my favorite name, but I'm I could get used to it. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of different. I think Argentina is one of the main ones. There's some other leagues that have those racing teams, and that's something in their branding they also pointed out was this would be essentially the first American racing football club, and and you know makes sense to have that in Louisville, which makes a lot of sense. Honestly, my biggest issue it's it's a mouthful. Yeah. You know, it's it's before you get to football, there's five syllables before the FC, you know, racing Louisville, it's, it's just a lot to hit. So there's a lot of ways you could have done something more succinct. You know, you have Sky Blue FC, their name doesn't immediately tie to their geographical location. You could have been racing FC if you really wanted to. I think there's other t- citywide nicknames you could have pulled. I talked to you about like Derby City FC. See, I like hits, that one. Hits the same notes and it, it, it just flows a little bit better. At the same time, I think you know, one of those things that you know, you kind of ease into. I, I remember, you know, FC Kansas City. I don't know. That always sounded clunky to me, but then it was just FC Casey, which just rolls off the tongue. So yeah, R- yeah. RLFC has has a good ring to it. So I think it works on the shorthand letter, you know, level to it. You can argue that with Utah Royals FC is a lot of syllables as well. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of other teams that potentially could fall into that world, but you you kind of find ways around it or you get used to it. So it did feel a little clunky. I will say that just the structure of the name, it feels official. It feels professional. It feels sleek. My legitimate only issue is it's just a lot of syllables. Yeah. And if you really wanted Louisville as the city in the name, I, I guess there's just no avoiding it. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing for me seeing this, this rollout is that, you know, we're, we're so deep into the challenge cup, but you forget like, wow, this is, this is real expansion is happening. You know, this isn't just yeah. the rumors. Oh, maybe there's a new club coming next year. This is the, the work's being done. I mean, overall, the brand is just, I don't know how you don't give this an A. 
I think the look, the feel of it is, is something to be excited about. I'm excited to see what their kits are going to look like. Obviously, that's the type of thing you get, you know, nerdy about. I they already have a merch page up and running. There is a mint green T-shirt. I may very well be buying one. I do want to say really quick in terms of crests, because that's a big deal in the sport. Where are you ranking this uh, across NWSL teams? There's a lot of people that are already putting RLFC at the top of their crest list of of all ten teams. Royals have a very, very strong one. Um, Personally, maybe it's personal bias, but I I always love Portland Thorns. I also think Orlando has a really strong one. I don't know. Top three easily. Top three, I think, makes a lot of sense. I like That's a tough one to argue. I don't think you're being at all stretching or favoritist. The the Thorns still have the best crest in American soccer. Thank you. It's gorgeous. It, I just wanted perfect. to be transparent about my bias, but no, it's, nope, it's, it's beautiful. I, I'm not, I, I think it's good to have respect for that, but you're not putting yourself out too hard by saying that that's the, it's in my opinion, it is the, you know, NWSL, MLS, different international levels in terms of American soccer. It's the best crest in the sport right now. I might put racing number two. It's, yeah. I like, I obviously like the Royal setup. So that's close. OL Reigns new new crest is solid. The courage is pretty simple, and I think it's all right. Racing racing's pretty close. It's just a really strong one. But I, yeah, if you want me to ease some tension, if you feel weird about you know being a Portland fan and calling up the Thorns, that crest just is is just too good. So no, it's a the Thorns are a soccer crest that could also be a luxury car insignia, <laughs> and there's something to be said for that. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that because I, I thought it was some exciting news and some pretty cool stuff, and we'll have to see where it ties in from there. But obviously, that's not the main reason we're here, Mike. We have a lot of soccer to dive into. We've six matches to hit. Uh, we've we've watched a lot of of soccer. Every single squad has now completed three games in the early round of four. So one more match for everyone. We already have our top seed locked in, and then from there. Who the hell knows? <laughs> exactly. Uh, this last day of matches is going to settle up for how these these knockout matchups are going to work because there's so much already at stake. As I said, I don't know that we're any closer to to how this is going to materialize, and we probably won't know until final match next Monday. Let's kick things off Saturday, July 4th, America Day. Royals FC with a 1-0 victory over Sky Blue. So this came off of... A fantastic Amy Rodriguez goal in the 41st minute was really kind of the main goal that it's really interesting because we're going to be bookending these conversations with, with sky blue. And even though it's the same team, it feels like they were very different teams. This definitely felt like the Royals match pretty much from start to finish. I feel like they dominated in in a lot of senses offensively, you know, played with a certain level of intensity bouncing off of a, a really exciting draw come from behind against Houston and we saw a lot of that out of Utah in general. Mike, what were your impressions on this match? Yeah, the scoreline is not indicative of the match we watched. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Royals came into the tournament. I don't think people had high expectations for them. You know, they they lost so many key pieces to their roster. And in addition to that, the injuries, you know, they, they don't have Desiree Scott. We haven't seen Kelly O'Hara. You think, how is how is this team going to compete? Then there's the first the first draw with Houston. You think... Maybe it's a fluke, a lot of offense. But then this game against Sky Blue, you see how explosive their offense was. And I, I give total credit to Vero in the, in the midfield. Um, she was just an architect, just shaping the entire flow of the game. But their possession was great. 
their passing was smooth and then their ability to get the ball forward and place it exactly where it needed to be, particularly for the A-Rod goal. It was an impressive match for them. They really, I, they really shown. When you go to the stat line, it shows itself off. So Royals had 14 shots to Sky Blues three. They had four shots on goal to Sky Blues zero. Abby Smith, I thought, had a really solid game, recorded zero saves because there were zero shots on goal. The thing, the concerning thing was Sky Blue's level of timidness, I think was some level of concern. And, you know, I think almost the most aggressive you saw that team was Midge Purse getting a yellow card early on. And that was about (laughs) it. Obviously, you know, we know the hindsight of Sky Blue's story, but just based off this match, kind of what were your, what were your feelings on them walking out? Well, Sky Blue, I mean, there's a lot of individual players that I love on Sky Blue and that had good individual performances in this match. I think particularly about Ifeanu Manu and Midge Purse. If he was someone that showed a lot of speed and was able to to get up there quickly, but there was never the support that, you know, and, and so it just felt very disconnected. Like you mentioned with the stats, they were never a threat to, to the Royals. Yeah, this, this definitely felt one-sided from start to finish, but overall it was a strong match. It'll be interesting when we come back to these these clubs, how things shift a little bit, which which is what makes this whole tournament interesting. You feel like you know the general identity of a squad, and, and uh, the way that this tournament has gone has really kept us on our toes in that sense. We're going to kick things over later to uh, the fourth Houston Dash with a two-a victory over O.L. Reign. In the 12th minute, Christy Mewis supported by an assist from Shea Room, drops in their first goal. Shea Room decides she wants a little more action, gets a goal of her own in the 54th minute. You know, that this is one that, fly. for you goodness sake, let's just jump straight in. I, I'll cut off the numbers. Does Shea Room have the best header of the tournament so far? Best best goal of the tournament. I mean, it like... It was un-freaking real. You see her movement. You see, you see the run-up to that goal. And then she just launches off the ground, times it perfectly, directs the ball perfectly. There's no keeper in the world that can stop that. It says something that when I first watched the replay, I don't remember seeing her on the ground. When the the camera covers the cross and it gets to groom, like she's levitating. I have no idea how she established the height that she did. And then to have the control she did, there was such a demand. Well, she's, yeah, Yeah. she's, she's not the tallest player. You might expect something like that from Daly, who fed her the ball perfectly, I might add. But and then and then to come against her her former club too. You know, she just yep. came from the rain this this season. Just insane. I like you calling out goal. I was gonna limit it to header for safety's sake, but if it isn't the top goal of the tournament so far, it's top two. It was it was He's- awesome. And it, honestly, I walked out of this matchup feeling like the dash were kind of the surprise of the tournament almost. If if there was a team that felt like they had the swagger to potentially disrupt a North Carolina courage, it could very well be Houston. And that was well, this the, in, the feeling that I took out of it. This entire day with the Royals looking so good and the Dash dominating, we went we both predicted those teams pretty low in, in terms of, of rankings. And then just after both matches that day, people kind of got talking, wow, Houston and Utah might actually be contenders you know yeah i think it it really helped houston's case that they, their offense just seems so multi-dimensional there's so much more dynamic to it and it makes it a lot which of fun. is which is a huge change because it's like you you know what a force rachel daly is mm-hmm. but 
so early on in the game, Christy Mewis forces that huge defensive mistake and scores with almost no one around her. So it, it was Absolutely. it was an all around offensive masterclass from from the dash. Absolutely. Now I think the other side of it was again consistent timidness from OL Rain. This is their second match. At this point, they walked out of this match scoreless. They they weren't able to pull off a goal yet again. Walking out of this match again, no hindsight in your mind. I walked out of this getting the sense that from one to eight, Rain felt like the eighth team in the in in the lineup. In my opinion, what felt missing to you specifically on this day watching this club? Goals. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you talk about that. This, this is sometimes this is the obvious answer is the right answer. Yeah. This this is a team that is coming off of multiple years of being in the postseason in the playoffs right now we're halfway through the preliminary round and they haven't scored what's going on like i know they're missing some key pieces and their defense is Mm -hmm. solid they have good possession of the ball it's not to say they're a poor team but there was such limited options on the attack there was so little momentum for the rain the the dash just smothered them they they were only down on on overall shots from Houston by by two shots destroyed them in terms of passing accuracy they had nearly as many crosses a lot of their buildup was really well their ability to finish just didn't feel like it was there no. and it it definitely had that cause for concern and that's where walking out of that was really intriguing and of course we're going to get back to both these clubs in just a moment but before then we we want to kick things over to July the 5th so I like to call it American Boxing Day because it's the day after. <laughs> that joke didn't land as much as I, I wanted it to, but that's live. I, I think the official holiday is Megan Rapinoe's birthday. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's Pino Day. I forgot about that. So yeah, that's that's I the like national. That. That's that's much better. And Indian belated Happy Pino Day to you um, and you. Of course, thank you. It's a whole lot. We'll, you'll be getting a family card in the mail. Uh, but uh, this was uh, we'll move on to the kickoff of July fifth. Portland Thorns FC, Washington Spirit, draw 1-1. This really had the potential to be one of the more exciting matches. Obviously, we've seen a lot of what Washington could potentially pull off. There's a lot of excitement there. I think a lot of us were waiting very heavily for Portland's opportunity to, to really bust out, do something amazing. And, and there were some really strong points to this and two very exciting late goals. Uh, that that were fun to watch obviously one of those was probably ill-timed from your perspective but just in general your overall reactions to to this draw Uh, it had a lot of ups and downs I think it was a frustrating draw for Portland because they were generally dominant throughout the match particularly in the first half they had dominated the midfield I think Lindsay Horan had a phenomenal game even even before her her free kick the free kick that from Megan Klingenberg that led to Haran's goal. And they brought a lot of pressure. They handled the ball well. The passing looked pretty smooth, but they couldn't finish. They they seemed to fall apart in in the in the final final stages of the attack. And yep. so and then and then at the half, the spirit bring on Rose Lavelle and Ashley Hatch. And I think they do a lot to bring Washington back into the match. Um, they're a lot better on possession after that. And then, of course, score the equalizer to Haran's goal with a that Sam Staub header. So, you know, I th- I think Portland was very disappointed not to get the points after a generally strong showing. But that being said, Washington could easily have stolen this thing if it wasn't for 
some superhuman saves by Bella Bixby. Bella Bixby had a phenomenal day, which is almost what makes Washington's equalizer nearly the more impressive because Samantha Stab's recovery and ability to get the ball in the net was very impressive. It the was. Athlete, Ashley Sanchez passed off of a off of a corner, off back heel, leaning out, nearly leaning completely out of bounds, and still getting it in position. I don't. I didn't even know how it was physically possible. And then we come to find out that apparently this was a practice drill that the team had been putting together, which I don't. I don't even know how you do that. Beyond kind of, me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when you were a kid and you threw a tennis ball and it bounced off the grass and somehow like stuck into the chain link fence. And then you tried to actually do it, no matter how hard you really tried. And like that's what that felt like. How do you rehearse that and make it work? It was such an impressive goal, and and it was it was that's really what spoke to to their level. These are two teams that have such talented, dynamic scorers that can put the ball in the net in such dynamic and unique ways. And I think that that's what's interesting is you know Portland had a goal on one shot on goal, and to me it really spoke to that level of if you can get them in a position to score they often will and i feel like that's almost kind of been part of portland's struggle is just getting through to that final third yeah and we see this going back yeah we see this going back to the end of last season where they create lots of great opportunities um but just are completely unable to finish but on washington's side too we just didn't see the same level of speed and explosiveness that that we're used to especially from someone like ashley hatch she had she had that one breakaway uh that really stood out but in in a lot of their matches you know rose lavelle dominates the midfield you know someone like jordan dibiase is a standout but ashley hatch drives that tempo and i didn't see that as much from the spirit in this match definitely that that was kind of the difference is it they definitely felt i don't know if you could say they're winded or what but yeah you didn't get that sense of aggression however a lot of I think their ability to materialize what what became their equalizer was pulling in Rose and Ashley Hatch at the start of half and and finding a way to make that tempo work. But even then, it it took a high level of craftiness for them to make that happen. So it'll be interesting to see if Washington can can maintain that form that we're all hoping to see, and if this is something that hopefully instills into Portland the confidence to be the, the Thorn Squad that that we're hoping to see because there's a very high potential that this is the type of thing that wakes a team up just in time for the knockout round. We're now through to the back half of our game reviews. We'll hit this one honestly fairly quickly because this was a match that for all intents and purposes felt like it was going to be a strong draw for the red stars, but to quote correspondent. And I would say NWSL media legend, Meg Lenahan, Mike courage, gonna courage. That says it all. 81st minute, Abby Ursig knocks in a header off the crossbar that goes just past Nair. And right from there, what felt like was going to be a well-earned draw and a well-earned point from the Red Stars. Yet again, they're on the losing end of the courage that just seemed to be the rich kid that always gets their way. (laughs) That sounds about right. Um, Because, you, you know, in this match, the courage they brought the A game, they brought the explosive offense that we're used to seeing from them. But the difference was Chicago just, I mean, put up such a strong defensive battle and especially behind um, the performances of Julie Ertz and Casey Short. 
I mean, they both had huge moments, but they were they were able to withstand the courage attack for 81 minutes. And then, you know, the the thing that that puts them over the line, it's it's not it's not one of their deadly crosses that's worked so well for them before. It's not it's not, you know, Golden Boot Lynn Williams or Dabinia that we've come to expect. It's not Crystal Dunn. It's their star defender, Abby Ursig, that gets yep. the the header into the crossbar. I and mean, extra, it, it was extra interesting because the this came a minute after, from my perspective, Chicago made three subs that, from what I could see, were defensively inspired. They pulled Kiliwat, they pulled Yuki, they pulled Rachel Hill, they dropped in Katie Johnson, Duniak, and Michelle Vasconcelos. And what I got out of that is they were trying to hold the line as best possible noting what situation that would put them in not 60 seconds later ursig finds a way through exactly and maybe that's just the story of life and and what we all have to learn to accept is that at the end of the day you know death taxes and courage finding a, a way in the net no matter how much we don't want it yeah well, like, that's the thing about the courage they stand right now with nine points they already are the top seed there's no mathematical way to upend them they've got it taken care of however almost you could claim that all three matchups have shown some element of how beatable this team is if you're able true. to get the for right recipe together yeah for as dominant as they've been you know that this is two out of the three their three matches that have been decided on you know very late goals those matches could go either way they're definitely the dominant team against anyone they play, but they're not unbeatable, I don't think. Oh, definitely not. And I think there's a lot of cases that, like, statistically, when you look at a lot of what they put together, you see how this team can be upended if, if you can make the right sauce happen. Five shots on goal, three of them blocked. They obviously got one in the net, but I think it speaks some level of volume to say that they found their way into scoring position and, and they were able to be stopped. They had what I would potentially, I want to say, might be the highest amount of crosses that I've seen from any team statistically. They had 25 in this matchup alone. And I think right there what that says is I think their offensive strategy can be exposed. You've pointed this out in games we've watched together, which is we tend to pretty easily know what their offensive attack is going to be. And it makes it all the more frustrating why it can't seem to be stopped in a lot of cases. (laughs) Yeah, we, we know what to expect from the Courage but they're just so efficient and lethal at it that, I mean, no, no one has been able to do it yet. So, Yeah, and I think that's the, the whole note of it is I think their depth helps play that role of they're able to get a higher level of fresh legs to make that attack work. But this is definitely one that was just, man, an inch here or there. And this we're having a different discussion about the courage and potentially a much different discussion about the Chicago Red Stars, who currently sit at the bottom of the table, coming into That's the true. final matchup. That's true. I mean, they were in they were in the championship l- less than a year ago, and now in you know with one game left, they have one draw and two losses. And you can claim, of course, you can make claim of Sam Kerr and that element of it. But that I don't think you look at this roster and you look at the skill sets. I don't think you can say just without Sam Kerr suddenly this team is in shambles there's a lot that could have been made work here and it just didn't I just don't it hasn't quite yet clicked that's what makes the structure of this tournament so interesting is there are a lot of teams that as time have gone we've seen things gel and click and make work 
And for some teams like Chicago, it may take it till their fourth matchup or into the knockout round. But in the situation of the OL Reign and Sky Blue FC, it appears it really took until the third matchup. If there were two teams that I told you right now, I would put at the bottom of the table. It's the two teams that won on <laughs> on July 8th. <laughs> against the two teams that you probably are saying, those might be numbers two and three, like the, the two most impressive teams coming up high runs. Royals FC upended by OL Reign. One to zero on a Bethany Balser score off of a phenomenal pass from Omiki. In extra time, Utah seemed to be walking away with yet another draw, putting them in a, a tough position. Balser, of course, finding in the net with a huge assist from Omiki. Also a huge assist from Nicole Barnhart, who just, in my opinion, did not respond well to that header. <laughs> just like that, we've been waiting for a moment for Balser to, to make her move happen. She made it happen. And just like that, the rain suddenly are in a position to get into the top half of the table when it felt like they might be dancing toward the bottom of the table. Quite simply, Mike, what the heck happened here? <laughs> well, their their first goal of the tournament came at exactly the right time for them. Um, yep. You know, we, we know we know Bethany Balser is an incredible player, reigning rookie of the year. I think for the majority of the match, the Royals controlled the tempo they definitely had the most pressure, but they just couldn't finish their their uh, offensive opportunities. There was a lot of extra touches that didn't need to be there. Um, there was a couple miscommunications. I mean, going as far as the box, but still, they, they felt like they were in control. But then I would say the last 10 minutes of play, really behind Balser, the rain just stepped up the energy. I don't, I don't know who, yep. who flipped the switch, but the tempo changed the mentality changed and they were just pressing so hard that it almost felt inevitable. You can tell from the time of possession. I think the balance of possession time in the second half plates showed that role. Once Balser came in around the 67th minute, it definitely had that feel of they were forcing their way into opportunities in a way that we had not seen. This was a team that was very well on their way to going three matches without a goal over 270 minutes, over four hours worth of soccer without a goal, able to make it work really at the last possible second. And a lot of that comes down, like you said, to Balser and her ability to make that push. I will say one thing that I found curious, well, there's a lot I found curious about Royals FC situation. They didn't make the final two subs till the 76 to 79 moment. They bring in Diane Matheson, they bring in Strom Akamoto, Really strong pickups. You know, I think those make a lot of sense. That said, you're leaving Kelly O'Hara and Sarah King on the bench after King has had some very, very impressive performances. There's a lot of reasons behind that, obviously, resting players and and defending certain positions. Dana Matheson was one of those interesting. Obviously, we all love Matheson. You specifically called out to me how there's even a positional curiosity behind why that change was made. Her being yeah, brought in I, for Brittany Radcliffe. I thought, I thought it was strange. I I don't know that Radcliffe had had her best game, but it was strange to me that they were subbing out a forward for a midfielder when you're you're tied at nil nil. I think Sierra King would have been just the obvious choice. She's been yep. incredible in this tournament. Now O'Hara, I you know we know she's coming back from injury. You you want to you don't want to risk re-injuring her before the knockout round. I get that, but I I don't know why King wasn't subbed in. Yeah, I, I just felt like with the momentum that she built, you're looking for someone who 
can dynamically find the net. I mean, you've had so many opportunities, but very small technique moments or whatever you want to call it, you know, minute differences, differentiate your ability to get scoring position and, and actually get something on the board, whether it's small extra touches or it's different level of hesitancies. And something that I've liked and watched Ciara is when she finds opportunities, she tries to swallow them up as quickly as she can. I, this felt like that moment. And it was a very curious situation why that opportunity wasn't presented. But, you know, it's why I'm not paid a coach, you know, a manager's money to make those decisions. So I think there's a lot behind it. But it definitely was something that made me wonder. King especially, I think O'Hara was definitely a curiosity case as well. Abby Smith not being in goal. There's a lot that was, what just made you wonder. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a strange match to start Nicole Barnhart in goal. Um, I don't mm-hmm. I don't mind trying out different goalkeepers. I think that's fine. But a matchup against the rain after you know after you've had Houston and Sky Blue, I, I it, it was a weird one to try out a new goalkeeper. On the other end of that, though, I think Yuka Momiki for the rain was incredible, and their their game winner she just set that up so perfectly. Absolutely, it was. I mean, you want to talk just about a picture perfect, gorgeous pass putting Balser in a situation that Balser had been trying to force her way into for so long. I mean, when you think about the energy level, you know, they, they found a way to really earn that pretty heavily. Yeah. And Momiki's boy, was back. it needed for them. Even if they didn't pull out the win, which they did, they needed to draw iron somewhere uh, for them to feel anything in their psyche. And so I think that was a huge net positive on their end for certain. So interesting case. This is one that went the direct opposite of what we expected. And if that's how we felt about this match, boy, do we have something else to talk about. Sky Blue FC, Houston Dasher walking into this matchup against Sky Blue late on Wednesday, July the 8th. I feel like outside of the courage, we were getting the feeling that the Dash might be that second favorite team. They might be someone to make noise. They might be the team that's equipped as well as possible to potentially upend the courage. We may be looking at you know, one of those top end favorited level teams. They seem completely locked in, offensively fired up. Rachel Daly is completely well oiled. We've talked already about Shake Room and her ability to put uh, herself in situations to succeed and score. Houston seemed like they had a whole lot of momentum. That momentum felt like it changed 17 minutes into this match uh, when Anamonu fed Paige Monaghan just... I don't even know how to say that's the the fat the, the fastest approach I've seen to a gold in <laughs> this whole tournament. The, the pass was perfect, but Monahan makes it look effortless. Like it's it's almost embarrassing. I mean, we'll we'll get more into it. Like I think Jane Campbell did not have a good night, but Monahan just makes it look easy. Absolutely, and, and I think I I agree with you on the Jane Campbell front. Definitely with the a level at which sky blue was able to very aggressively find their way into getting shots on goal there it was it it was a tough thing definitely to respond to but you definitely are curious at 34 when kasumi lobs like underhand volleyball lobs one in the back of the net <laughs> and i'm trying to figure this out what exactly what campbell's situation was because it just felt like she just responded to it too late like, well, yeah, she, she was way it. too she was way too far out of goal. Kawasumi spotted it and just launched the ball, and Campbell couldn't get back in time. I mean, Campbell is a great goalkeeper who's been on the national team bubble for a long time. Um, yeah, 
this this was a really shaky performance. That's not a mistake she makes often. And Kawasumi just completely capitalizes on it. I think a lot of people obviously are going to chalk this goal down to to a misstep by Campbell, and that makes you know there's justification in that. Something that does need to be noted, however, by this is you have to honor Kawasumi's level of maturity. How often is this situation upended by someone rushing a a shot and overshooting the crossbar? She made it a point to very to to have the poise to make sure that thing got in goal. And I've like, we've seen this before, where someone very much rushes it, overshoots it. So this this isn't just necessarily oh she was able to just kind of lob one in goal. I think a lot of wherewithal went into that. But it was this interesting. Was, that's really this was yeah. like a, this was like Carly Lloyd in the 2015 World Cup final kind of kind of lob. You know she yeah she just saw the opportunity delivered perfectly. It it almost happened in slow motion. Where I'm thinking to myself that might go in. There's no way that's going in. Oh, that's in. You know, it's, it was, she saw it. I mean, she it, had the vision, made it It happen. was at such a pace that commentary wasn't sure if it counted. Are, are we missing something? And that it really was uh, really intriguing. But the, the attack from Sky Blue, again, this is so similar to what we saw with Utah and OL Rain, which was, where's this attack been all tournament? Where's this confidence been? And on the other side of it, what really happened to Houston? Houston comes out of this with a single shot on goal. They seemed fairly disjointed from my perspective. Pulled in 20 crosses. None of them really seemed to land too heavily. And that's on top of the fact that, you know, discipline-wise, they seemed pretty well. Two yellow cards, both came from Sky Blue. I, I think you saw some solid defensive prowess. At the end of the day, it just felt like the team that we watched a few nights previous was absolutely not there. What do you think just played such a differentiating role for, for the dash? It's, it's beyond me. Neither of these teams were, we we've seen neither of these teams before Houston has, their offense has been explosive yet tonight. I mean, daily barely pushed the tempo. Part of me wonders, you know, daily did take a really hard hit fairly early into the match. I wonder how much that played into it. But also, I thought it was a quiet night for Christy Mewis. I don't. I think there was a lot more miscommunication and sloppy passing. I I really don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to tell. You know, part of you wonders if just simply the attack that you saw out of Sky Blue was some that may have just thrown him off guard, and for some reason they weren't able to recover from that. You know, from a, st- a mental stamina point, but it's it's a hard one to tell. What I will say was the results of of the matches from the eighth, the Challenge Cup table into what I'm gonna call a state of flux. Let's review over that really quick, and then we can talk about the upcoming matches to to finish out these pre rounds. Uh, as we talked about with nine points, North Carolina Courage have officially locked in their number one spot. They will be at the top bracket. Uh, no nuts or coconuts or whatever. If nuts, what's the phrase? Ands, butts, or coconuts? I. I don't remember, and I don't even remember what movie I saw it from. This is a really bad reference, and it's making for great podcasting. So, yeah. So the courage, number one of the seedings. From, the sorry, courage you're good at football. Got it. And something got about it. Done. it. Come on. From there, your two to six could fall anywhere from two to potentially eight 
at this point. We have a five-way tie in the point structure uh, with the Sky Blue, Houston Dash, the Royals, Oil Rain, and Spirit all with four points piece. Uh, right now, due to goal differential, Sky Blue sitting atop in second. This was a team that was teetering toward the bottom of the table and all at once find themselves second in the seedings. Could potentially drop as, as low as I want to say potentially eight, depending on how those final matchups go. The you have the dash yeah. So as you look at that, and then at the at the bottom we have the thorns and the red stars. How many of us could have predicted that those were going to be the teams teetering at at the bottom of this table at this point mathematically? If I'm correct, going through potential matchups, and I'm almost always wrong, so you guys are free to correct me on this. It, from what I can see, the thorns can at this point climb their way to as high as about the fifth seed. The red stars as high as to roughly the sixth seed, and that incorporates them pulling in wins while having handfuls of things go their way with other matchups as you're looking at the order as it stands right now mike what shocks you the most uh, i think you said it the team's at the bottom i i think yeah. we expected the courage to be at the top not a surprise two two of the four playoff teams from last year are at the bottom of this table um including you know the runner-up, the, the champion runner-up championship team. But then, of course, to see teams like Sky Blue, Houston, Royals up there, like those were not teams that came into this tournament with high expectations. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how this flips, but I, I think that natural four-game pre-setup before you get to knockouts just makes that a natural inclination. I think one thing that we did talk about here, which, which I think will be a good note for us to make before we hit these predictions for these final matches, Mike, is I actually think this puts a lot of these two through six teams, I actually think puts them in an interesting situation because obviously at first glance, you want to get a better seed that generally is what you're going for so it makes sense final match let's put all of our horsepower behind our roster get all of our starters locked try to put in as much minutes as we can and get a victory get the points so we can move our way up the bracket there is also i think a running mentality that you can have as a squad which is you know something right now i get the sense that two through six i don't think we drop all the way to eighth which means we wouldn't face the courage in the first round based on how all the matchups have gone around the board I feel pretty competitive as a squad against just about any other team. So maybe let's actually go ahead and maybe rest a lot of our key players, get them ready and as energized and as locked in as possible for the knockout round. Because regardless of where we're sitting, we're probably going to be in roughly the same scenario in terms of our, you know, the potential to pull in a win. Am I overthinking that or, you know, not at all. Not at all. Because in this preliminary round, no, no one's getting eliminated. And so, I think with the exception of the Red Stars and the Thorns who are sitting at the bottom of this table, I think there's a sense that you need to keep your players healthy, manage their minutes, make sure that you are ready to go 100% in the knockout round. Absolutely. I think it does help that in that in the two through seven, you're looking at a difference of a goal differential of two between Sky Blue and the Thorns. So depending on how games go scoring-wise, a lot of things can shift around. But again, like you said, if you feel comfortable that you're suddenly not going to fall to the bottom of the bracket and face off against North Carolina in the first round, I think overall there's a lot of comfortability. And I think that's what makes our final predictions for the early round all the more interesting. We have four more matchups over two days, and that will officially set up what the lineup is going to be for the knockout round. So, Mike, last time we did rapid fire, I think we'll do the same thing here. But I think these matchups and these predictions are going to be interesting because a lot of it may just come down to what is the mentality of that squad and how they're going to set up their roster and what's important to them may play a big role. But on face value, we'll kick things off the early matchup on Sunday the 12th. 
we've got the Spirit and the Dash facing off. So both one, one, and one teams. How do you see that going? I think I think the Spirit are going to get their mojo back after that last draw. I think I'm giving them a 3-1 win over the Dash. I'm getting roughly that same setup. Is I, I feel like the Spirit have a lot to, to speak on that level. Get the sense that the Dash might have some things to work out. I also get the sense that the Dash have seen success against a lot of teams and feel like maybe a lot of what happened to us in that third match was potentially minutes related. So let's rest back and move forward. So I'm going to go 2-0 for the Spirit. Okay, nice. Let's go Chicago Red Stars Royals FC for the nightcap of the final matchup. And this is one where the seedings probably are beyond what we were fully expecting. Mike, do the Red Stars find a way to cap this off with a positive, finally sealing a win? Or do the Royals avenge frustrating loss to OL Reign and end this on a high note? Or does either team matter how this goes? Because, you know, we just love chaos. Oh, this is this is tough. I I want I want to cheer for the Red Stars. I want them to pull it together, but I'm going to call this one a draw. I, I don't think they're going to get the win. Okay, but you know, draw's a draw. I'm going to go ahead and give this one to the Red Stars. I think for the sake of saving face, they need to find a way to get a W. I think they're going to put full force into their to their starting 11. And again, y'all know me in predictions. I'm going to get this totally wrong. Uh, and I think they're going to be able to do stuff. I'm going to go I'm going to go 2 to 1 for for the Red Stars over over the Royals in this matchup. All right, Mike, we've got our two final matchups, our final day of the initial round before we hit knockouts for the Challenge Cup. It's so crazy to think that we're already this far into things. I feel like we just started and, and we're like at the halfway point, basically. We've got OL Rain and Thorns FC. Again, this was one where at the start of the day that we're recording this, these were two teams that felt like they were teetering at the bottom. Now you have one that might be making a push much higher up the bracket, one that isn't necessarily, but probably trying to avoid that bottom spot. And believe it or not, that's the Thorns. This one is really interesting to me in terms of what team's priorities are. But that said, we get a little bit of the, the Cascadia matchup between uh, the Rain and the Thorns. What are your thoughts? These teams are always so fun when they when they uh, play each other. But I, I think I think the Thorns are going to get their win. I, I think they're going going to make it through. I'll say two one Thorns. I just feel like Lindsey Horan is going to become a focal point of this tournament from this point on. I I see her being someone who is just one of those standout. I expect to see performance at her, and because of that, I see a Thorns win here as well. I'll go two nil for Portland. And finally, the least and most interesting matchup at the exact same time, Sky Blue FC, North Carolina Courage to kick this off. The Courage, they know exactly where they're sitting. They're sitting pretty. For all they know, they could sit this entire team and have the playground and the ambulance and the subway and the sunset and the farm <laughs> and the seats and Vlatko's Black Book be the squad for this matchup. And and it's all the same to them. You have Sky Blue, who finally pulled off a win, are looking to build on some momentum, have suddenly the potential to lock in a second seed or better. This is really interesting. These are two teams that could go a lot of different directions with things. There was a time where it felt like the finish here was very obvious. I don't think that's the case anymore. But Mike, who is winning the final early round matchup of the Challenge Cup? I think the Courage rests a lot of their players, and they still win this thing 2-0. Dang. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're picking the upset, though. I am picking what's going to feel like an upset, but it's not really. I'm going 1-1 draw on this. Okay. But for Sky Blue, 
it's going to feel like they won the whole damn thing. Uh, I think they are going to put in some rest. I think you're going to see Sky Blue putting in a strong attack with, uh, I, I expect them to take a lot of their heavies and, and sub them probably toward the half to, to put in some rest. But I think they just want to do what no other squad could do up to this point, And that is avoid losing to the courage. And that would be a I win to them. That speaks big dividends, right? It's, it's winning a wrestling match by count out, but sometimes that's what it takes. And that's what I expect. Yes. I see a nil nil draw, but it's going to feel like the upset of the tournament thus far, because that's just the world we live in right now. <laughs> take yeah just take what you can get do all those things so so from there when you know next time we talk the the early round will be all through all the preliminary matches will be done we will know the official setup of the knockout round and it'll be time to talk final predictions for the challenge cup and then who knows what we're going to be talking about mike there's so much to dive into but really quick mike on your end anything else you want to bring to the table any thoughts impressions updates for we call it an official day on this app no this was great i i agree it was very great it, it, this has been so much fun it's been really enjoyable uh obviously the end of Cell has, has done a lot to put this together. Sponsors done a great job, um, you know, between promotions, the watch parties. I got to check out a watch party on behalf of Royals FC earlier today. Had a lot of fun. Got to know a lot of great fans and, and really enjoy myself. If you yourself are a fan of a team and haven't had a chance to, to kick off your own or join a watch party, absolutely do so. Really fun way to add some dynamic there. Of course, on behalf of the show, if you want to check us out, you can follow us over at NWSL Pod. Find us anywhere else your podcast can be found. If you are listening to us anywhere that has some sort of comment or rating system, much like Apple Podcasts, five-star rating we'd absolutely love. Definitely leave us a comment. Let us know what you like about the show and what you think we can do to make this a better experience for you. Also, something we'd love to hear from you, whether on Twitter, comments, ever abroad. Uh, we want to stick around, continue to give us some quality content after the Challenge Cup. If you have any ideas of some things that we can put together for you, stuff you'd think would be fun to talk to, topics, insights, ideas, history pieces, anything we can dive into, please sound off. We want to know what we can uh, continue to do to, to give you some quality and engaging content on behalf of the NWSL Women's Soccer. That's what we're here to do, and we hope to continue to do so for, for as well and as long as we can. But up to that point, we still have plenty of soccer to talk about. This We're about halfway through this tournament, but it's certainly not over. There's a lot more to dive into. And until we get to that point, soccer and beyond, thank you so much for listening to this episode of NWSL Weekly. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>